that you have chosen to be with us. We invite you to come and be back with us at every opportunity that you have. But let me give you right here at the beginning of our lesson today a special invitation to be here next Sunday. We'll have a guest speaker uh, on next Sunday. We're calling it our Caregiving Sunday. Brother Jerry Martin, many of you may remember him from having preached at Blackwater Macedonia several years ago. But he is uh, a counselor and uh, works with uh, the university down in uh, uh, Montgomery. But uh, uh, he will be here and he will be talking about lessons that will help us to give care to the caregivers. You know, the caregivers sometimes almost are pushed to the side because they're caring for someone else, but they need help too. And so he's going to discuss some things with us uh, on that. Remember that we'll have uh, a meal following the morning service and then have an early afternoon service, 1 o'clock. And uh, we will not have a 5 o'clock service. That will be next Sunday, our caregiving Sunday. She was born, Frances Jane Crosby was born March 24th, 1820, 198 years ago now. She was born about 50 miles north of New York City, and when she was about six weeks old, she had a cold, and somehow or other her eyes became infected, and so back in those days they didn't treat them exactly the way that we do now, but they treated her eyes with uh, some poultices made from mustard seed. And she later in life said that during that time, this treatment caused her to be blind. Now, modern physicians think that she was actually born blind. Uh, we don't know for sure, but anyway, for uh, her whole known life, she was always blind. But she was an amazing, amazing woman. I want you to let this number sink in. She wrote more than 8,000 hymns. More than 8,000 hymns, not counting all of the other secular music that she wrote, words to secular songs, as well as other poems that were not put to songs. And so, you know, think about that. A lot of us never write one. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. And even though she was born 198 years ago, we still remember her. We don't, uh, maybe don't remember her by the name Frances Jane, but we think about her by the name of Fanny J. Crosby. And Fanny J. wrote some of the songs that we sing. She wrote the song, Blessed Assurance. She wrote the song, Praise Him, Praise Him. I am thine, O Lord. Tell me the story of Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. All the way my Savior leads me. All of those were songs that she wrote. But there's another song that I want to think about this morning. It's titled, uh, we're not clicking there, Larry. Her song is titled, He Hideth My Soul. Maybe Larry can catch up with me here in just a second. He hideth my soul, better known as a wonderful Savior. You remember the words of that song, A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. And then again in the next verse she said, 
a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. Indeed, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is our Savior. If you're keeping up on the bulletin, that's our first uh, blank this morning. That Jesus is our Savior. That's what the Bible teaches us that Jesus came to be. Now listen to just a few verses to confirm that. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, at verse number 21, when the angel came to Joseph to tell him not to be afraid to marry uh, Mary, uh, who would be his wife, the angel told Joseph these words. He said, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, at verse number 10, Jesus himself made this statement. He said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In the book of John, chapter 12, at verse number seven, 47, rather, Jesus said, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now later on in the book of Hebrews, we know that the second time when he comes, he is coming as judge. But when he came the first time, he came to be our Savior. He came to make it possible for all of us to have salvation from our sins. In the book of Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, the Bible talks about how that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, at verse number 15, Paul says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul added this, of whom I am the chief. And then again in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, at verse 23, the comparison is made of a husband and a wife. And the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Again, in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, at verse number 14, the Bible says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Those are just a few of the passages that we find in the New Testament that affirm the fact that Jesus came to be our Savior. But let me ask you a question this morning. And I want you to, I want you to answer this question with your own words. I want, you to, I want you to think about it very carefully though. Why? Why do we need a Savior? Why do we need a Savior? Now I know that Christians who are gathered today could probably rattle off some answers to that question just really, really quickly. You probably thought of something really fast. But this morning, I want you to think that there are some folks in our world today who would respond to that question differently than perhaps you did. Some folks would say, well, we don't need a Savior. I particularly am one who does not need a Savior. That may be shocking to us. We have heard about sin. We've heard about all of these things in, in, in our lives and if we've gone to church very much at all, we know that we need a Savior, but there are some people who do believe that they don't need a Savior. 
That's what I want us to explore for just a few minutes this morning. I want us to think about that statement just a little bit. As we begin our exploration of that this morning, I want us to think about why someone might say that, and here's a reason. Some might say, I don't need a Savior, and I don't need a Savior if I don't believe I'm lost. There's your blank. I don't need a Savior if I do not believe that I am lost. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And let's read together verses 1 through 3. And you may want to hold your finger there because we're going to come back to that passage again in just a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Paul writing, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This morning, Christians might say that we need a Savior because of sin. And I don't want to be punished for the sin that I have committed in my life. And that would be a valid reason why we need a Savior. But I want us to understand that that's not the deepest thing that we need to remember about why we need a Savior. We need a Savior according to what Paul said, not because we have sinned and and that we're in God's doghouse, but rather we have sinned and we're in the morgue. We have sinned and we have become dead. Look at the words of the apostle. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, like some of the TV uh, uh, crime shows where you need a coroner to tell why the person was in the, in, in the morgue, you know, and they, they do all the forensics of that. The apostle Paul has already done that for us here. He's acted as a spiritual coroner. And he said, the reason that we're in the morgue, the reason that we're dead is because of our trespasses and our sins. Analyze those two words with me this morning. When we talk about the word trespasses, it's a word which means something like this, a side slip or a false step. A side slip or a false step. As used here in this passage, the picture that Paul is painting for us it is of a person who has wandered away from the right path. He didn't just jump immediately way over here, but perhaps he has moved gradually out of the straight line that he needed to be going. And so because of those trespasses, he says that we need a Savior. Why would, why would somebody sort of gradually, why would they get off of the right path? It may have been that they were not paying a, a, attention because of the inattention that they were giving to their life. They started doing things that were wrong and found themselves farther away from God, farther away from right, farther away from good than they ever thought that they would be. It could have been that it was a deliberate act, a choice that they made to do something that was truly bad. But Paul says, because of our trespasses, we're dead. Paul also says because of our sins that we're dead. Are these two different things? Well, it just points us in two different aspects of getting away from God. 
The word translated sin in this passage means to miss the mark. It's like an archer who's shooting an arrow. He shoots the arrow and he doesn't hit the target. He doesn't hit the bullseye. We, in our life, sometimes fail to hit the mark of God's standard for us. Sometimes our arrow of life may fall short. Sometimes it may go beyond what God has given us to do. But sometimes we miss the mark. We may overtly commit or or do something in opposition of God's standard. We may choose to commit adultery or we may choose to steal or we may choose to murder someone. An overt act that misses the mark of God's standard for our life. We may fail to do something that God has commanded us to do. You know, that would be the arrow coming a little bit short of the target. And that may be observed in the way that we live in doing something like loving our neighbor. We fall short sometimes in those things that we really need to remember. Because Jesus said that the first and great commandment was to love God with all of our heart. And the second was likened to it. To love our neighbor as ourselves, And so when we think about what Paul said, Paul analyzed and said, because you are wandering away, straying out of the path that God has set for you, because you're failing to hit the mark of the standard of life that God has, uh, has uh, set for you, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. But you may be sitting there thinking this morning, but yes, I'm a good moral person. I don't do a whole lot of bad things in, in my life. Preacher, I haven't done any, any of the bad things that you mentioned just a moment ago. Let me call your attention to another verse. This one found in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. Peter writes these words, For Christ also suffered once for sins. There's Jesus dying on the cross for us. There's our Savior doing His thing. What he came to do. He suffered once for sins. The righteous, some translations say the just. That's Christ, the one who did no sin. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Again, some translations say the just for the unjust. That he might bring us back to God. Being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the Spirit. Folks, you know that righteous one that's being talked about there is Jesus. That just one is Jesus. That unrighteous group, those unjust ones, are you and me. How many of you know the average lifespan of the United States? It's about 78.6 years. Say, preacher, that's a strange thing to put here in the middle of this lesson. Well, I just want to illustrate something with it. You know, sometimes we talk about a child growing up and reaching the age of accountability. I don't know that that that, uh, phrase is ever found in the Word of God, but it simply means something that we can find in the Word of God. A, A child grows up to the age that he knows the difference between right and wrong. He can choose to do good, uh, and know what's good, and he can choose to do wrong and know that it's wrong. And so that's what we're talking about. Let's be generous with that, and let's say that a person reaches that age at, 
say 14, 14 years old. I think it may be earlier, but let's just say 14. Now, from the time that that person is 14 years old to the time that he's 78.6, the average lifespan, um, that is something like 23,759 days. Folks, suppose you only sin one time a day for all of those years. One time a day for 23,759 days. That's 23,759 sins. A lot of us are not good enough to get by with only one time a day. It's not long, say you get up to three, it's not long, you've done got past 75,000 sins. We are the unrighteous. We may think we're good, we're a good moral person, but we are the unrighteous. Even good folks are the unrighteous. Again, if you're filling out the passage of the sheets on the bulletin, the word unrighteous is there. But think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of times when we look at that passage, we look at all of those bad sinners that are mentioned there. But have you ever noticed this? that Paul makes a distinction in this passage? Paul begins the passage, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? And then, on down, when, after he said, uh, do not be deceived, he uses another word, neither. And so he says, the unrighteous... And then he says, neither, and then he goes into that long list of all of those really, really bad sins. You see, that unrighteous may be some of the good folks who are good, moral people. They may never have been sexually immoral. They may never have worshipped an idol. They may never have been an adulterer. They may never have practiced homosexuality. They may never have stolen anything. They may never have been greedy. They may never have been drunk. They may never have gone out and been a person who is a reviler, as it's put there. But even those little sins, those things that we look at another person and we just can't stand the appearance of them, when we fail to love our neighbor as ourself, that got us in the unrighteous part. Neither the unrighteous nor all of these other really bad sinners. You see, our point this morning is we all need a Savior. I can't make the argument that I don't need one because I'm a good person. We all need a Savior.
because we all get caught in that unrighteous part. Secondly, this morning, as we think about a person who would say that I don't need a Savior, I don't need a Savior, they sometimes might say, if I try or to or believe, I can save myself. Myself is the blank as you're, if you're filling them in. Let me call your attention again back to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 at verse number 1. To the very first part of that passage again, Paul said, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You know, one of the things that I always caution my firefighters about, we'd have our training sessions and, and, and you know, we would try to plan what we would do in case we were called and do all of that. One of the things that I always cautioned my firefighters and, and the first responders about was to be aware of danger. That's one of the first things. When you, when you pull up onto a scene, you, you begin to assess the scene, and you want to find if there's any danger. Are there any power lines down? Are there any power lines if you have a burning house that are still connected? One time I was out and I, was, I had the fire hose out and all of a sudden there was a, a live power line fell right beside me. And from then on I remembered to look for power lines. You know the reason we do that? The reason we try to tell people to watch for the danger is because you can't help anybody if you're hurt or if you're dead. You can't help them. What difference does that make in what we're talking about here? Paul says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Being dead in sin, one is not able to bring himself back to life. Dead is your blank, your next blank. But God being rich in mercy, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 beginning, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Think about what God has done for us. We, by our sin, have gotten ourselves in a condition, a dead condition, spiritually dead. And a dead person can't do anything about it. But while we were dead in our sins, God sent His Son, Christ, the Messiah, to be our Savior. If you go on down in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 to verse number 8, Paul would write these words, For by grace you have been saved through faith. We've already read there in verse number 5 uh, uh, that we were saved by the grace of God. It was the grace of God that caused Jesus to come down for us. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11, the Bible says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But again, I'll refer you back to that verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 2. By grace you have been saved through faith. God has made it possible that even while we were dead, He's made it possible for us to have life again in His Son, but even those dead people 
those who are spiritually dead, we're still alive physically, and we have the opportunity to believe in Christ. And it's through the faith that we have in Christ that we have access to the grace of God. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote these words. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this in verse number 2. Through Him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. While spiritually dead, there was nothing we could do to respond to God in an adequate way. I couldn't save myself. But God himself devised a way, a plan to bring the dead back to life. And he sent his son to implement that plan. And by the grace of God, he provided a way for you and I to have life in him. No wonder we can read in the book of Romans as well as other passages, but more explicitly in the book of Romans, that when uh, we are buried with Christ, we are raised to walk in newness of life. We've been regenerated through the baptism, having the blood of Jesus to wash our sins away. We have access to the grace of God through our faith, our obedient faith. Some might say, I don't need a Savior because I believe I can save myself. Just not true. But then again, somebody might say, well, I don't need a Savior. And you probably don't need a Savior if you're unwilling to be saved. The word unwilling is your next blank. The Bible teaches us very plainly that God is not willing that any should perish. But there are some who are not willing to be saved. How do I know that? I read it in the Bible. Look in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 13 verses 44 beginning through verse number 47. There the writer says, The next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by uh, Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Now watch this and pay close attention. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Good friends, the Jews judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. You see, they were responsible for their own fate. God made it possible for them to hear His Word, to hear of the grace that He had bestowed upon mankind through sending His Son. And they didn't want to hear that. They were unwilling to... Wherever Paul went, many of them followed him. And 
They tried to stir up trouble and cause people not to believe what Paul had to say. Paul told them, you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. God was offering them eternal life if only they would hear and obey the gospel that was being preached. And they wouldn't do it. You know, it's been said, and you may have heard this before, that life is sort of a great election, or salvation in life is sort of a great election. What do you mean by that? Well, they said, God cast his vote for you because he's not willing that any should perish. He sent his son so that man could be saved. And Satan wants everybody to be lost, and he does everything he can to tempt you to turn away from God and to sin and to stay in your sin. You're the one who cast the deciding vote to make it two to one. I beg of you, please don't judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. For you see, men have a choice to either obey or disobey God. Look at another verse with me really quickly. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. The Bible says he came to his own, speaking about Jesus here in this passage, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But pay close attention to verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Many folks in Jesus' day rejected him. They didn't receive him. But to the ones who did, and to the ones who still do, and to the ones who will obediently believe in him, he gave us the right, the authority, the power to become the children of God. Jesus came to save as many as would receive him, who would hear his word. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 2, Isaiah wrote, God speaking, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. You know, that sort of describes those who are unwilling to be saved. They just want to walk their own way. They want to do their own thing. They want to have their own life with God not interfering in it. God will allow you to do that. But when we stand before Him in judgment, it's not going to be good for us. We'll find then that truly we did need a Savior, that God did provide one. But if I'm unwilling to be saved now, I will truly regret it in the future. If you're looking at your page and you still see three blanks, let's fill them very quickly. We said this lesson is a wonderful Savior, and Jesus truly is a wonderful Savior. Why? He's a wonderful Savior who wants to save you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, This is good, this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, 
who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Number two, he is a wonderful Savior who is able to save you. Hebrews 7 verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Blank number three, He is the only Savior who can save you. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. A wonderful Savior. Do you need to be saved by this wonderful Savior today? Please do not make excuses. Please do not turn away from Him because He is the only hope that those who are unjust, unrighteous, even though good morally, He's the only hope that we have. It may be this morning that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You're willing to repent of the sins that you have in your life Uh, We're told in the New Testament that unless we repent, we'll perish. Luke chapter 13, verse number 3 and verse number 5. To repent means to change our mind, to change our actions, to to take our allegiance away from one, to give to another. If you're willing to repent of your sins, to make the great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, the Bible teaches us again, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Whosoever will confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father in heaven. Jesus says that we are to confess. Paul writes that we're with our mouth confession is made into salvation. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. If you're willing to make that great confession and to be baptized, buried with Jesus in water, to have your sins washed away by his blood, we'd love to assist you with that today. It may be that you would like to study more, to understand more about this Savior that we've spoken about today, to understand more of what He requires in our life. We'd love to assist you in a study. All you need to do is make that known. Maybe you're here this morning, though, but you understand and you know what you need to do. We're going to invite you to come so that we can help you. Maybe this morning that you have done that in the past, but you've turned yourself away from that Savior. You have trespassed by straying away from the path. Maybe you've missed the mark in some way or another. We invite you to come back to Him again today. Just as Simon asked Peter to pray for him that even the thought of his heart might be forgiven him, we would pray with you and for you even this day. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, why don't you do it right now? Ask together.